you notice the first two words from our text from the lesson from Hebrews this morning, you realize how hard it is just to maintain those. How tough, how difficult it is just to keep on. And I don't know about you, I don't know if it's just one of those lingering symptoms from the pandemic, but it's a struggle just, just to get through, just to keep going, to find the energy just to kind of go through life. And while that certainly has affected the church, all churches, before and after the pandemic, I don't think by any means is that struggle limited to just matters of religion and faith. It's tough to just keep on. You've experienced it and continue to experience it, no doubt, in the workplace. Whether it was throughout the pandemic as you were struggling with, with maybe an employer that insisted you were vaccinated or you'd lose your job. What's the mask policy today? And now as we have returned back to work, there's still struggles and challenges. What's the requirement for being there in person versus working virtually? And not only that, but those who have left, those who have either been fired or just haven't returned to work, now have left the, the remaining bunch, and you might be experiencing this, with doing the extra work of those who aren't there anymore. But you aren't being compensated for it. You aren't being promoted or recognized for it. It's just an expectation that you are picking up what everybody else left on their way out the door. Students recognize the challenge of just keeping on. Over the shift from a Zoom classroom back into the physical classroom and everything along with it, now sports and extracurriculars, to say nothing of physical, in-person interaction with classmates and the peer pressure that often goes along with that. Students know no matter what level of education you're at, it's difficult just to keep on. Socially, we know how difficult it is to keep on. While at the beginning of the pandemic, most of us were balking at this idea of having to stay at home and being forced to stay indoors and not gather together socially, now as we have kind of re-engaged with society, we realize there's kind of a tug of war going on. We're excited to be able to socialize together, and yet there's a little bit of us that still yearns for that easy out of being able to say to somebody, sorry, can't get together, got to stay home tonight. Not my rules, but not my choice. And so we recognize that tension and struggle of just keeping on in so many areas of life. Difficult as that is on its own, though, we haven't even gotten to the tough part of the verse. The writer to the Hebrews didn't just stop there. He didn't say, just keep on keeping on. You know what he said next. He said, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Oh, great. Keep on is hard. Keep on loving, virtually impossible. That's like the most difficult thing. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, still as a pastor, that is probably one of the biggest frustrations people have. It's so hard for me, pastor, to love so and so. And yet here we are called to keep on loving one another. And it's as if the writer to the Hebrews here anticipated some of those challenges, and so he spelled out for us what it looks like to keep on loving one another. He referenced the ways in which we can do that in showing hospitality to strangers, in remembering those who have been imprisoned, or we could lump together with them those who in general are just in need. 
and, and in honoring single people and husbands and wives and how we hold in high regard God's gift of marriage and the gift of sex that is supposed to go with it. These are ways that we keep on loving one another. And at the time this letter to the Hebrews was written, that would have been a, a uniquely different challenge than it is today. Because there was a lot of different things going on in the world, especially for Christians at that time. At this time, when we read these words, there was heavy persecution that Christians were experiencing. So that adds a little different flavor to help us understand why this was such an issue. If you were a Christian afraid of being persecuted for your faith at that time, you maybe understand why you'd been reluctant to show hospitality to a stranger. Because what if that stranger was somebody that was seeking to infiltrate your group, your congregation, your network of friends, and put together a list of Christians that he could then report and imprison, which was a very real thing, or take away your property, or, yes, put you to death. Which also makes sense then why the writer to the Hebrews would encourage remember those who have been in prison more likely for their faith. Why would you be reluctant to remember them? Because if anybody else saw you caring for or providing for fellow imprisoned Christians, guess what? Guilt by association. They would have lumped you together with them in a second. So there were unique challenges that help us understand and even excuse to some degree why it was hard for Christians at the time this letter was originally written to show hospitality to strangers, to remember those who were imprisoned. They at least, we might say, had an excuse. But we aren't under that same kind of persecution, at least not in, in our country, in 2022. So, when we are called to show hospitality to strangers, knowing that there is no real threat, no real reason to be afraid to do that, why don't we? When we are called to remember those who are in prison, to have compassion on them, or to remember those who are just in need, and we know that we have nothing to be afraid of when we do that, then why don't we? When there's nothing to fear, except maybe a, a, a balk or or being jeered or made fun of by society as far as holding God's gift of marriage and sex in a higher regard than, than our culture does, why don't we? Why don't we do all of these things? Well, I know what, what you're thinking, and, and I know what you're thinking because it's the same thing that I, I think. So we have all of this ammunition uh, that is lined in our brain, swirling around, defending exactly why we don't do all of those things. That's what our sinful nature is good at doing, coming up with reasons, rationalities, excusing why we don't do any of those things. And like I said, I, I only know you do it because I do the same thing. But ask yourself if whatever justification you have for not doing those things, for not continuing to keep on loving each other, ask yourself how well that justification or that excuse would stand before God. You probably know, as I do, that it wouldn't. So let's not beat around the bush. Instead of pretending that we aren't guilty of this, let's just be open about it, confess that it's us, confess that we are so self-centered and we so often love ourselves more than we love others, confess it and work on it. Because then we can begin to address the real issue that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about here. 
That's right, we haven't even gotten to the most difficult challenge of all of them. Because when you think of how difficult it is to show hospitality to strangers, to remember those who are in prison, there's something that the writer to the Hebrews mentions next that has a certain appeal to us. And yes, it's a touchy subject. And as I mentioned to the children, it's, it's one of those things that we tend to believe is going to solve our problems or at least provide a little escape from them. It's money. But as he talks about money, you'll notice that the writer to the Hebrews doesn't address it as a solution to all of these problems or an escape from them, but says, if you're not careful, this has the potential to be the biggest problem of all. Which is why he says what he does in verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So it appears that the writer of the Hebrews is not referencing or bringing money into the equation as a solution to all of these things, but as rather a red flag, a danger sign. Watch out. If you think it's tough to keep on loving each other, well, compare that with this. Not only are we to love each other to do this, to keep doing that, but don't love money too much in the process. I came across a a story of an individual this past week that illustrated the validity of this very real concern about loving money too much. Probably not a, a name that that any of us are familiar with, Hansi Kronia. And Hansi Kronia was a, a cricket player in South Africa. In fact, not just any cricket player, but a well-known, well-reputed cricket player. And he played at a time in, in the 90s when racial division was, was at an all-time high. And one writer described him as, so we can in America kind of help appreciate their view of him, as somebody that had the skill level of a Michael Jordan, to date myself just a little bit, somebody who had the likability of a, a Tom Hanks, and somebody that had the integrity of an Abraham Lincoln. That's how he was viewed in his country. And he was adored and loved by, by black and white people alike. He had such a, a, a pristine reputation. And so you can imagine how shocked everybody was. In fact, not so much shocked, but how quick they were to dismiss when a report came out that he was guilty of fixing cricket matches. Everybody quickly dismissed it, saying, no way, not this guy. He's too honorable. He's too repu his reputation is, is so high. We, no. Well, as, as the story continued to break and the investigation continued, it became clear that he was guilty of the subject of those charges. And then, of course, all of the court proceedings came through and he admitted he confessed to these things and, and even addressed when he was asked why. He admitted an unfortunate love of money. And as a result, he was banned from playing cricket for the rest of his life. Now, one thing that I can appreciate about a man like, like Hansi, is that he was honest about it. And I can't always say that about myself when it comes to a love of money. As we talked about last Sunday a little bit, most of us wouldn't readily admit, yes, I love money and, and without apology. But the issue comes up that we're so good at deceiving, at fooling ourselves that, that no, it's not money that we love, but it's, 
It's the end around that says it's all of the stuff that money affords us, all of the associations with money that we love. So no, I don't worship money, but, but give me security, give me status, give me stuff. Those things we find ourselves attached to, don't we? And those might be the things that we conclude money afford us those opportunities and that's why money matters so much to us for this life. But what matters for this life doesn't for the next. You have undoubtedly at some point come across either a cartoon or a picture of the hearse that is loaded down with baggage and suitcases and belongings, pulling a U-Haul behind it. And the reason we chuckle when we see that image or that picture is because we realize what it's illustrating. You can't take it with you when you die. And that's kind of a sobering reminder. Think about that for a moment, that, that everything that belongs to you, everything in your possession at this very moment is going to belong to somebody else. Like it or not, you have no control over it. It will belong to somebody else. Maybe you can designate who it's going to belong to, but it's not going to be yours after you are done here on earth. And not only that, when we talk about money and possessions and belongings, here's the biggest shortcoming that they have. They cannot buy for us the things that really matter in life. No amount of money, no matter how high you pile it up, can, can buy you peace. Cannot buy you forgiveness. Money will never be able to buy you unconditional love. Money can't buy you eternal life. And we could list all kinds of other things that money can't buy you. And do you know why money can't buy you those things and so many more? Here's why. They've already been purchased. They have already been paid for. And no, not by any amount of money, but by the precious blood of Jesus, our Savior, which alone could purchase those things for us, along with all of the rich spiritual blessings that flow from them in our lives. And God insisted on making that payment for our sins. He insisted on making that purchase. Why? So that He alone could be the one to gift those things to us. And that is exactly what he has done. He has made it free and available for everybody through faith in Jesus. Those are the gifts, dear friends, that matter. They matter for eternity, yes, but because they matter for eternity, they also matter very much right here and now. And it's because of what has been bought and paid for for us that, that we can also then look to the last section of these verses from Hebrews and cling to these gracious promises that God gives to us through faith in Jesus. When he says in the last part of verse 5 and then in verse 6, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me. That confident trust, those gracious promises give us security and status. They give us all the stuff that we really need. 
for this life? What else do you think that money can, can offer you that, that the God who has promised to help you in every need can't do for you? And not only that, but along with this promise that He's never going to, to leave us, think about what that means. You don't have to be afraid of abandonment, of desertion, of isolation, of being alone for the rest of your life because God has said you won't be as far as I'm concerned. I won't leave you. And with this promise comes a, a different understanding and appreciation of the verse we looked at earlier, verse 5, where, where he warns against the love of money, but then the second part of that that says, be content. If I have these gracious promises of God who has bought and paid for everything that I need for me, I can be content. And so, as I mentioned to the kids, I can have a healthy relationship with money, with stuff, with possessions. I can manage them instead of them managing me. And that allows us to look at them through different eyes. To realize that I don't need to spend my life chasing after money to satisfy myself or afford me opportunities. God has promised that he'll give me what I need. But I can view those things as a way which God can use me to make a pretty significant impact in the lives of others. When I am content, we can go back to the early verses and reflect on how I can manage God's gift of money to me and possessions to carry out that encouragement to keep on loving. Imagine what that could look like. Imagine in your own personal budget each and every month having a line item for hospitality to strangers. This month, I have designated this month, this much, this amount, to have people over for dinner or game night just to show hospitality. What would it look like to have a, a similar line item in your budget to manage God's gift of money to you to say, I'm going to designate this to remember those who are in prison to either support a jail ministry or, or just those who are in need to meet people's needs with this much each month that God has gifted to me. Or to apply it to God's gift of marriage. To say, I'm going to give attention to my own marriage by setting aside a certain amount of money so that my wife and I, my spouse, that we can get together, get away for a weekend of marriage enrichment or a retreat just to focus on each other and the blessing of marriage. Or if not for you, to consider sponsoring a younger married couple to do the same thing, maybe with kids who could use a break more than you could imagine but can't afford it. Think of what an impact when we are content with God's blessings and we see them as an opportunity to bless others, what an impact that will have on their lives. And then, dear friends, we realize that, that money is a, a tool, it's a blessing from God that allows us to do exactly what he's called us to do for, for things that actually matter in this life, to keep on loving and to view it differently, to not see that encouragement to keep on loving as a burden but to see it as a joy and a privilege. May God bless us as we strive to keep on loving each other with the means that he has entrusted to us to do so. Amen.